Hi, welcome to the Gallipod with me, Gallopacidia. In this episode, I'm reading chapters 5 through 8 of my story, The Bucket List. If you're not here for dreary fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Content warning, this story does contain themes of terminal illness, but it also has a happy ending. I hope you enjoy The Bucket List. Chapter 5. Number 37. Ride round on a horse as white as snow like a bloody fairy tale prince. Maybe he likes you, Harry, said Hermione. Harry scoffed. He does not. He's up to something. Ron and Hermione exchanged glances. Harry, mate, said Ron. I'm not saying he's doing Death Eater stuff or whatever, said Harry. But he doesn't want to date me because he likes me. I'm sure of that. He paused, thinking. I reckon he's trying to do things that are out of character. Or maybe, said Hermione, he stopped forcing himself not to behave in character. What do you mean? asked Harry. You said he came out to you, Harry. Maybe he's finally being himself. Maybe all along, Draco Malfoy was a nude, modelling, tap-dancing, mountain-climbing gay adventurer. This time, it was Harry and Ron's turn to exchange glances. There was a beat. Then, nah, said Ron. It's probably the Death Eater stuff again. A few days later, Harry and Ron went to the same cinema he had gone to with Malfoy. The homeless man sat outside as before. You get the popcorn, said Harry. I'll be right in. Harry approached the homeless man who eyed him with suspicion. Hey, said Harry, sorry to disturb you. I was wondering if you remembered a guy who was here the other day? Blonde, slim, sort of over-the-top posh? Draco, said the man. Uh, said Harry, yeah. What about him? I guess I was wondering, did he give you money? Just say what you said. Harry had not thought it was possible that the man could look more unfriendly than he did to begin with, but he managed it. You really are a prick, he said. He gave me £70 and told me not to mention it so that you wouldn't think he was doing it for attention. Oh, said Harry, flabbergasted. He's going through a hard enough time as it is. Right, said Harry. Uh, thanks. You're a twat. I'm just going to go and watch a film now, said Harry. Tell Draco, Seven says you're a miserable fucker and not worth his time. I, I'm not telling him that, said Harry. Coward, said the man. Harry fled into the cinema. Maybe Seven was right, thought Harry, as he zoned out of the film. Not about Malfoy being some kind of beacon of goodness. Harry didn't know why Malfoy had given him £70, but he was sure there was a reasonable explanation. No, maybe Seven was right. Harry was a coward. He liked Lamarack. He knew he did, and yet he hadn't done anything about it. It was time to change that. Luna's next event was a fashion show. As always, Lamarack floated effortlessly through the crowd, introducing models to fashion designers, designers to politicians, politicians to activists. Although it wasn't quite effortless, noticed Harry. Every twenty minutes or so, Lamarack retreated to an alcove, leant against the wall looking exhausted, and took a swig from a hip flask. I'd think you were on polyjuice if you weren't drinking that so often, said Harry, catching him as he emerged from the alcove. Lamarack startled. Harry! He was still holding his flask. It's pepperet potion. Here, you can smell it. He unscrewed the lid and held out the flask to Harry, who laughed. That's okay, I trust you, said Harry. Something flickered across Lamarack's face, but it was gone before Harry could analyse it. I had a bit of a late one last night, said Lamarack. You've caught me out. I wanted to talk to you, said Harry. Intriguing, said Lamarack. What about? Harry drew his shoulders back, feeling fourteen again, asking Cho Chang to the Yule Ball. Would you like to have dinner sometime? Lamarack looked so astonished it was almost comical. Dinner, he said. Like, a date? Harry nodded. I thought you were straight, said Lamarack. Uh, I'm not, said Harry. Lamarack chewed his lip. He was silent for so long that Harry was on the verge of saying it had all been a joke when he finally answered. Well, I'm straight, he said. Oh, right, cool, said Harry. But I'd like to get to know you, said Lamarack. Would you be up for that? Harry didn't hesitate. Yeah, definitely. Lamarack smiled. How about coffee, tomorrow afternoon? Brilliant, yeah. 
I'd better go, Neville Longbottom is languishing in a corner. Yeah, yeah, of course, go host. Lamrak cast him a glance that Harry could have sworn was flirtatious before slipping away into the crowd. Why had he paused for so long before saying he was straight, wondered Harry, and surely it wasn't normal for a straight guy to look at your lips so much. So the plan is, he falls in love with Lamarack, then you confess your true identity, boom, bada boom, asked Pansy, leaning against the enormous standing stones of Stonehenge. No, said Draco, he'd feel betrayed and hate me more. So... So I become friends with him through Lamarack, that's not taking advantage. Then, a month before I'm due to die, I tell him who I am, and his anger is mitigated by the tragic sight of my piteous bed-bound form. He confesses love to you on your deathbed, said Pansy. We marry in a small, tasteful ceremony, said Draco. The groom's mother wears Chanel. Does this mean you'll stop running around like a headless chicken trying to tick everything off your list? asked Pansy. No, said Draco, because the plan isn't going to work. Isn't it? asked Pansy. No. Be real, Pansy. Even if he falls for me as Lamarack, the instant he finds out I'm Draco, he'll be disgusted. So what's the point? asked Pansy. Draco leant his forehead against a weathered prehistoric stone. It's for you, really. Got to have a plan so that you don't go mad. Pansy's neat black hair kept getting blown into her lip gloss. They looked at each other quietly for a moment. You're my best friend, she said. I can't... I can't think about... Pans, you know I can't. I know, she said. I'm sorry. You don't deserve this, said Draco. Don't be boring, said Pansy, her eyes flicking up to the sky. If you cry, I'm not helping you fix your mascara, said Draco. You're a selfish prick, said Pansy. I don't know why I like you. Because I'm terribly rich and rakishly handsome, said Draco. These rocks are tedious as shit. Can we get out of here already? asked Pansy. Draco consulted his notebook. Salisbury Cathedral? Nerd, said Pansy. Let's go. Harry met Lamarack the next day in a little coffee shop off Diagon Alley. Lamarack was exquisitely dressed as always. They got coffees and settled into a corner table. Lamarack looked strangely nervous. So, said Harry, how long have you lived in England? Lamarack got out his flask. Mind if I pepper up? <laughs> Don't you sleep? Lamarack just laughed. He drank, shuddered, and put the flask away. Harry, he frowned, I have a few secrets I have to keep. What kind of secrets? asked Harry. Lamarack met his gaze unflinchingly. Big ones. Can you accept that? Harry thought of Draco Malfoy taking cocaine and having threesomes and giving away large sums of money to strange men on the street. If Malfoy could take risks, so could he. Yes, said Harry. I can. Lamarack looked relieved. Good. If something touches on something I can't talk about, I'll answer pass. Okay, said Harry. Why did you come to England? Pass. Harry laughed and tried again. How do you know Luna? Pass. Is there anything you can tell me? asked Harry. Think opinions, not facts, said Lamarack. Harry considered. What do you think of me? he asked. The look Lamarack gave him was definitely flirtatious. Well, you're handsome, obviously. Obviously. Asked Harry. Obviously, said Lamarack firmly. And beyond that, I like that you get my sense of humour. People don't always. Why not? Asked Harry. I think because with cutting humour, you have to trust that the person making the jokes isn't a dick. <laughs> Do many people think you're a dick? Asked Harry. Yes, said Lamarack. Why? Because I am one. Or was one. Still am. I don't know, said Lamarack. You don't seem like a dick to me, said Harry. You seem pretty self-aware. Lamarack flushed and looked away. What about you, Harry? Got any secrets? A few, said Harry. You want to know one? Just like that? Just like that, said Harry. Go on, then, said Lamarack. I'm unhappy, said Harry. Lamarack sat back in his chair. Why? That's just it, said Harry. I don't know. Everything's going great. 
I've had that before, said Lamarack. At school. For me, it was because I wouldn't let any of my friends get close enough to me to be real friends. I have great friends, said Harry. Lamarack suddenly squeezed his eyes shut, grimacing. You okay? asked Harry. Headache, said Lamarack. You need to sleep more. There aren't enough hours in the day, said Lamarack. He put his head between his wrists and pressed. Sorry. Ah. Okay, I'm back. Do you need... No, no, I'm fine. Socrates, I think it was Socrates, used to say he tried to be as charming when he was sick as when he was healthy. Apparently his visitors could never tell how he felt because the behaviour never varied. Are you sick? asked Harry. No, no, I just... He laughed. <laughs> I just like the attention. Let's get back to you. It sounds like you need to change. Yeah, said Harry. That's why I asked you out. There's this guy I hated in school who sort of come back into my life. But he's like, trying new things all the time. It's fucking annoying, actually. He keeps asking me out. Lamarack raised one eyebrow. Trying to make me jealous? No, said Harry. I just thought, if he can take risks, so can I. Harry's eyes drifted as he thought about Draco sodding Malfoy. He really is the most insufferable tosser. Lamarack's expression was pleasantly neutral. Ron and Hermione were never neutral when he brought up Malfoy. I'm not talking like school bully stuff, by the way, although he was that too. I mean, the guy was literally a Death Eater. Voldemort lived in his house. I'm not sure I'm following your train of thought, said Lamarack. He modelled nude for my friend's life drawing class. Lamarack looked puzzled. I see, he said. How devious? If you knew him, you'd get it, said Harry. Lamarack grimaced. You okay? asked Harry. Is it your head? Yes, he said. Give me a second. He pressed his temples again, his breathing laboured. When he raised his head, he was smiling. So, this old schoolmate of yours has triggered an ancient rivalry, and now you want to out-carpe diem him. Harry laughed. You've hit the nail on the head. I don't know if that's the right kind of change, Harry. What do you mean? Lamarack took a pensive sip of coffee. I think you need to write down all the things that make you happy. Little things, like mint tea in the summer, or roof gardens. And big things, like spending time with family. Oh, I I'm sorry. That's okay, said Harry. The Wheezies are like my family. Well, said Lamarack, that then. And once you have the list, you can figure out how to do more of that. You make it sound so simple, said Harry. I like to have a plan, said Lamarack. I'm more of a act first, bitterly regret the absence of a plan later type, said Harry. Lamarack smiled. I admire that. I intellectualise myself out of bravery. Suddenly he gasped and put his head on the table. Fucking hell! Have you seen a healer? asked Harry, starting to feel seriously concerned. Lamarack hissed slightly as he drew breath. Yes, he said. I just get them. It's not a big deal. Just fucking toad on a tit that hurts. It's just embarrassing. Don't be embarrassed, said Harry. I think I'll have to cut this short, Harry. I'm really sorry, said Lamarack. Yeah, yeah, of course. Do you need help getting home? No, no, Lamarack got unsteadily to his feet. I really enjoyed this. Me too, said Harry. Write that list, said Lamarack. I will. Can I see you again? Lamarack smiled. I'd like that. When Harry arrived at Andromeda's that evening, Malfoy was sulking in an armchair, clearly nursing a hangover. Draco and I are playing the quiet game, said Teddy. You just lost, Ted, said Malfoy. You look like you had a good time last night, said Harry. I did, said Malfoy, slowly getting to his feet. He swayed a bit. Right, I'm off. Haven't you ever heard of hangover potion, Malfoy? There's not enough hangover potion in the world, said Malfoy. What's hangover? asked Teddy. Well, that one's on you, Potter. I'm not the one who showed up clearly still intoxicated from the night before, said Harry. Malfoy glared at him blandly. Harry hadn't known a glare could be bland, but Malfoy managed it. See you tomorrow, Ted, he said. Can we go to the amusement park again? Malfoy winced. I don't think so. How about a museum? Okay, said Teddy, sounding resigned. What ridiculous thing are you doing tonight? asked Harry. 
I was supposed to go horse riding, but I think I've left it too late. He scrunched up his face. Stupid of me. He opened his eyes. Night, Potter. Enjoy your time with Teddy. Harry was too surprised by Malfoy being pleasant to answer. Malfoy left, knocking into furniture as he went. Chapter 6 Number 63, take ecstasy at an underground warehouse rave and dance my stony heart out. How did it go? asked Pansy. They were in the Oxford Botanical Gardens. Pansy was eating an ice cream. Number 75, eat ice cream at the Botanical Gardens like that time father took me the summer before Hogwarts. But for the last month, Draco's nose had been too blocked up for him to be able to taste anything, and more recently he had stopped being able to keep food down. His appetite was shot and he felt nauseous whenever he thought about eating. So Pansy ate ice cream, and Draco went through his bucket list crossing off all the food-based ones with a heavy heart. It went well, he said. My mother was a bit awkward at first, of course, but after a few glasses of wine they were chatting away like old friends. That's good, said Pansy. It's a relief, said Draco. He had been so worried that Andromeda would not forgive his mother as readily as she had forgiven him, but Andromeda had been more than open to the prospect of reconciliation. It took a weight off Draco's mind. He hated to think of his mother at his funeral with no one to lean on. He knew Pansy would do all she could to comfort her, but Pansy was already doing too much. He could hear her quiet sobs through the thin walls of the house. He never mentioned them. "'How's it going with Potter?' asked Pansy. "'I like him,' said Draco. "'The saviour? You're serious?' "'Deadly. He's fun. And sort of wistful. I think he needs rescuing.' Draco sighed. He met up with Harry as Lamorak a few times a week. Harry laughed at his jokes, complimented him, confided in him. He had taken Draco's advice and written a long list of things that made him happy. He and Draco, Lamorak, had gone through it together, figuring out ways Harry could incorporate joy into his life.' Maybe you should quit your job, Draco had told him. It's a good job, said Harry, but you don't enjoy it. I've always wanted to be an aura, there's nothing else I want to be, said Harry. Draco shrugged. It's got bad work-life balance and that's important to you. Harry laughed. Where have you been all my life? I could have used your wisdom four years ago when I decided to join the force. It was disconcerting when Harry said things like that. Draco had wanted Harry to like Lamorak. He hadn't realised how much he would end up liking Harry. He couldn't have predicted that Harry wasn't arrogant or smug or entitled or intention-seeking or any of the things Draco had assumed about him. Instead, he found that Harry was compassionate, loyal, funny, curious. He found that his coffees with Harry were the highlight of his week. He found himself drifting towards Harry at Luna's events, catching his eyes, smirking at him as if they were old friends. And Harry seemed to feel the same way. When they caught up with each other at the various drinks parties Draco threw with Luna, Harry always seemed delighted, even relieved, to be in his company. This made the contrast between the two Harrys all the more stark. When Draco's illness bothered him as Lamorak, Harry was sympathetic and helpful. But if Harry came across him not feeling well as himself, Harry made snide remarks about Draco's drinking habits. It was sort of fascinating how the same action, performed by Draco and by Lamorak, could provoke such different reactions in Harry. Pansy offered Draco a lick of her ice cream. No, thank you. You're getting enviably thin, said Pansy. <laughs> Death curse chic, said Draco. Mm-hmm, said Pansy. I think I may have passed sexy thin by now, though, said Draco. Pansy looked him up and down. Not quite yet. Do you have any other sex challenges on your list? Mm, number fifteen, sex with someone I love, said Draco. Fifteen? That's high. Not happening, though, is it? Pansy nibbled the edge of her ice cream cone. I'll sleep with you if you like, she said. Pans, said Draco, touched. What do you reckon? I think you're the best friend a boy could ask for, but I doubt I could even get it up. You're so deliciously curvy. Blaze would let you, said Pansy. Draco lay back in the grass. I'd have to tell him first, he said. I told Astoria, said Pansy. Draco sat bolt upright. You betrayed me? Oh, don't be so selfish, said Pansy. I was going mad, grieving all on my own. Draco scowled. She's been acting perfectly normally around me. I bet she doesn't upset at all, he said. 
She's acting normally because I asked her to, said Pansy. Draco decided he couldn't in good faith chastise Pansy for reaching out to Astoria. He knew how hard this had been on her. It wasn't as if Pansy could talk to Draco about how miserable she would be once he was dead. Do you think I ought to sleep with Blaze? he asked. No, said Pansy. I think you ought to sleep with Potter. I sense you're trying to tell me something here. I sense you're falling in love with him, said Pansy. That's a mighty fine conclusion jumping you're doing there, Miss Parkinson. He needs rescuing. That's Draco speak for if only I could take him home and brush his hair and fuck him silly. He'd probably die of shock at the sight of a hairbrush, said Draco. He has to fall in love with you, said Pansy fiercely. He has to. Draco closed his eyes, focusing on the throbbing pain behind his left eyebrow. Don't be boring, Pans. I just don't think it's safe to leave Teddy alone with Malfoy, said Harry. Andromeda pursed her lips. Not because he's a Death Eater. He was acquitted, Harry, said Andromeda. He has a drinking problem, said Harry. He does not. He can't walk in a straight line. He's hung over every single day. He keeps a hip flask in his suit pocket. I saw the outline when he took off his jacket. Look, said Andromeda, I'll admit that Draco has seemed a little off lately, but he hasn't been sleeping well. He's been taking ecstasy all night long at underground warehouse raves. That was one time just to try it, said Andromeda, although Harry sensed that she was beginning to see his point. He's always compost mentis. I don't even know what that means, said Harry. He is irresponsible. He should not be allowed alone with Teddy unsupervised. As if to emphasise this point, Teddy suddenly shrieked, Granny! He and Malfoy were upstairs, playing knights. Harry had come early to try and talk Andromeda out of letting Malfoy spend a time alone with him. Andromeda stormed up the stairs, taking them two at a time. Teddy, sweetheart, what's wrong? Malfoy was passed out on the floor. Merlin, said Harry. He's blackout drunk. Andromeda swept Teddy into a hug, throwing Harry a look that was at once guilty and annoyed. What happened? she asked Teddy. He said he wasn't feeling well and then he falled over. Harry pointed his wand at Malfoy. Innovate. Malfoy's eyelids fluttered, then opened. He struggled to sit up when he saw Harry's wand. What? You have some nerve, Malfoy. Harry, put your wand away, said Andromeda. Harry reluctantly obeyed. Malfoy instantly relaxed, falling back so that his head hit the floor with a thump. I fainted, he said. You passed out, said Harry. Let me put Teddy to bed, then we'll talk about this, said Andromeda. Is Draco going to be okay? Malfoy didn't answer. He had covered his face with his hands. He'll be fine, Teddy, said Harry. Draco, asked Teddy. Fine, said Malfoy, after a long pause. His voice was muffled. Andromeda took Teddy and left the room. Sit up, said Harry. Give me a minute. You know, Andromeda seems to think you're this family-oriented, reformed... I don't even know, but it's completely irresponsible for you to be drinking when you're supposed to be taking care of Teddy. I wasn't fucking drinking, said Malfoy. I've had a word with Andromeda and she's starting to agree with me, said Harry. Teddy was terrified just now. Malfoy propped himself up on his elbows. Andromeda agreed with you. If she didn't before, she will now. Malfoy lay back down and breathed purposefully through pursed lips. It looked as if he was counting. Malfoy, I'll explain when she's back, okay? Just give me a minute. Fine, said Harry. Harry sat on one of Teddy's dinky little chairs and crossed his arms. It was a long half hour, but finally Andromeda returned. Draco, she began. I have something to tell you, said Malfoy, lurching to his feet. He had to hold on to the wall to stay upright. Let's get you a cup of coffee first, said Andromeda. I haven't been drinking, said Malfoy. Just come have a coffee, said Andromeda gently. She took Malfoy's arm and led him down the stairs. Harry followed, trying to feel triumphant. It was harder than expected because Malfoy looked so thin and miserable the way he had at his trial. They sat at the kitchen table, Andromeda handed out mugs of coffee. Malfoy's head was bowed. Draco, said Andromeda, you know I love... A few months ago, I was hit by a fatal curse, interrupted Malfoy. There was a deafening silence. What do you mean, a fatal curse? asked Andromeda. My condition has recently deteriorated, said Malfoy, raising his head to look at her. I'm sorry. 
maybe I shouldn't have come into Teddy's life like that since... Anyway, I'm sorry I scared him. Draco, said Harry, not sure what he was planning to say. You can't... You're sure? Draco nodded, not looking at him. How long do you have? asked Harry. A little under four months. Harry's skin broke out in shivers. Andromeda started to rock back and forth on her chair. Can't it be reversed? asked Harry. Draco shook his head. Are you in pain? asked Andromeda. Draco laughed. <laughs> it hurts like hell. I've been incredibly brave. His face grew serious. I understand if you don't want Teddy to get any more attached, but I had to make sure that you and my mother... His voice broke. I don't want her to be al alone. She doesn't know yet, you see. I should go, said Harry. That's why you've been doing all those things, said Andromeda, climbing mountains and all that. Draco made a tragic little sound that Harry suspected had started out as a laugh. I can't travel, uh, because of my probation, but I've tried to do some of the other things. He paused. I'd have liked to travel. Harry stood, and Draco finally looked at him. I'm sorry, said Harry. I shouldn't have assumed. Draco laughed again. You have no idea how satisfying it is to have you proven so wrong. It's almost worth dying tragically young. Harry didn't know what to do with his hands. I'm sorry, he said again. Draco smiled at him, a disorienting, warm smile. I'd be a dick to you if I thought you were getting wasted around Ted. Narcissa, said Andromeda, who had been staring into the depths of her coffee all this time. When will you tell Narcissa? Draco put his head into his hands. I don't know, he mumbled. I should... I'm going, said Harry. Neither of them seemed to notice him as he stumbled to the fireplace and flew back to Grimmauld Place. Chapter 7 Number 71. Visit a den of iniquity and smoke opium like a tortured romantic poet. Draco Malfoy is dying, said Harry, without preamble, when he saw Lamarack the next day. He had already told Ron and Hermione. How awful, said Hermione. Ron had remained silent, but he found himself longing to talk to Lamarack the instant he got home. When had that happened? When had Lamarack become the person he felt most comfortable confiding in? Your old school rival, asked Lamarack. Yeah, you must be overjoyed. Harry spluttered. Lam, how can you think that? Lamarack looked puzzled. Don't you want him dead? he asked. Of course not. I saved his life during the war. He saved mine too, actually, in a less obvious way, but it, it still showed character. Lamarack took a sip of his hot water and lemon. He had quit caffeine a few weeks before. Didn't you try to kill him in sixth year? he asked. I've never told you that, said Harry, taken aback. Lamarack blushed. Uh, Luna, Luna mentioned it to me, that's how I know. Oh, well, I wasn't trying to kill him. I was horrified when I saw what that spell did. Lamarack looked at him thoughtfully with his unsettling brown eyes. It made Harry uncomfortable. He's been hit by some kind of slow-working death curse, said Harry. He's got four months. I, I feel terrible. Why? asked Lamarack. Because it's my fault. Lamarack's eyebrows flew up. How do you figure that? Because, said Harry. I knew everyone hated the Malfoys after the war. I mean, his father was murdered in prison. Everyone knows that. Natural causes, murmured Lamarack. Please. He was hit over the head with a heavy object. I saw the report. Lamarack blanched. He hadn't been through the war, Harry reminded himself. He probably wasn't quite as casual about violence as Harry was. Look, the, the point is, I, I should have... I don't know, I, I should have... Whoever cursed him did it because of the war. I spoke at his trial, you know. He's a prick, but he isn't evil. I really don't see how this is your fault, Harry. I accused him of being an alcoholic, said Harry. He was ill, and I tried to get Andromeda to stop him from seeing Teddy. Maybe he shouldn't be seeing Teddy, said Lamarack. It'll be upsetting for him when Draco dies. Rather selfish of him, really, to spend time with Teddy at all. Harry frowned. Come off it, Lamb. Of course he should be able to spend his last few months with his family. I was being a total dick. Quelle surprise, said Lamarack, and Harry laughed. Lamarack smiled back at him. He had such a lovely smile. Draco had quite a nice smile. 
The one he did when he was with Teddy, not that horrible smirk he did when he thought he was being clever and cutting. Harry ran his hands through his hair. It's just... I thought I was through the war deaths. And yeah, I, I won't, like, personally miss Malfoy when he dies, but Teddy is going to be so unhappy, and that makes me unhappy. I relate to Teddy, you know? War orphan and all that. What if Draco Malfoy is his serious? Lamarack was staring off into the distance with pursed lips, a small crease on his forehead. So, you don't care about Malfoy dying, he said, except on a conceptual level. Sort of, said Harry. It wasn't exactly right, but he didn't know how to explain himself better. Lamarack clenched his jaw, looking miserable. Your head? asked Harry. Sorry? Is your head hurting you? You look a bit upset. Oh, yeah, said Lamarack. It hurts. He frowned. I'm not sure I'm the right person for you to talk to about this. Why not? I... <laughs> no reason, I suppose. You've been really helpful, said Harry. It's nice just to talk things out with you. Oh, said Lamarack. He smiled, although it was rather weak. Well, I, I like being helpful. It's always sort of extra sad when good-looking people die, isn't it? mused Harry. You think he's good-looking? Oh, yeah, said Harry. He's so hot. Lamarack looked alarmed. So you fancy him? Harry shook his head. I really don't. I'll never be able to see past the Death Eater thing. Never? asked Lamarack, idly stirring his drink. Even if he had changed? Even if he regretted how he had behaved? I reckon he has changed, said Harry. Doesn't matter, though. I could never date a Death Eater. It's on his fucking arm, Lamb, the Dark Mark. Kind of a deal-breaker. Lamarack's right hand went to his left sleeve, where the Dark Mark would have been. Yes, that makes sense, he said. Lamarack, you're not actually straight, are you? Lamarack's eyes flew up to meet his. Pass, he said. He hadn't used a pass in weeks. Normally it didn't come up. They talked about Harry, or abstract ideas, or Quidditch. I like you, said Harry. I like you a lot. Lamarack sighed. Harry, he stirred his drink some more, although it definitely didn't need it. Let's talk about something else. Y yeah, okay, said Harry reluctantly. What's your next event going to be? Astoria came to the next meeting Pansy had with Draco. Rule one, said Draco. Don't be boring about it. I haven't been so far, have I? said Astoria blandly. They were on a rooftop bar. Number 28. Visit a rooftop bar in Istanbul. Islington was not Istanbul, but it was better than nothing, although it was fucking cold. Then again, Draco was always cold, and he was developing painful sensitivity to magic, so he couldn't use warming charms anymore. He was wearing a thick cashmere coat and several scars, but the view was worth it. How's it going with Potter? asked Pansy. Badly. Apparently he finds the whole Death Eater thing a bit of a turn-off. You don't say, said Pansy. Have you given up, then? asked Astoria. Oh, I gave up around sixth year, said Draco, honestly. Everything else has just been an encore. Draco thinks he's some sort of tragic heroine like Juliet, said Pansy. How dare you, Pansy. You know how highly I value my masculinity. Now that he knows you're sick, won't Potter notice that Lamarack has all the same symptoms? asked Astoria. Draco shrugged nervously. He had been worrying about that. He'd managed so far by clenching his fists under the table whenever his head twinged to stop himself grimacing, but it wasn't sustainable, particularly as the headaches were only getting worse, and he'd started sprouting random nosebleeds. I was counting on Harry's natural obliviousness to carry me through, he said. Dear Harry, said Pansy. There are a few charms that could help, said Astoria. They'll only work in small doses, but if you save them up for when you meet him, they should be all right. There's a headache one and a cough silencer for when that becomes a problem. She's cleverer than us, isn't she? Draco asked Pansy. Speak for yourself, said Pansy, but she cast Astoria a glowing look. Astoria and Pansy, thought Draco. There's an idea. He decided to act immediately. Number 212, perv on two girls kissing, he said. Indulge me? They looked at him with matching, knowing expressions. Well, since you're dying, said Pansy, can we refuse a deathbed request, said Astoria. You wouldn't be so callous, said Draco. 
Pansy put her drink down and turned to Astoria. You look nice today, she said. So do you, said Astoria. They leaned in and kissed, long, with tongue. Draco got out his mobile. He had bought one at Jack's request. They texted a few times a day. Jack. Full moon tonight. Draco. Watch out for werewolves. Jack. Lol. Astoria broke away from the kiss. You weren't even looking, Draco. Hmm? Oh, something came up. You'll have to repeat the experiment another time. Astoria rolled her eyes, and Pansy grinned lecherously. Are you really dying? asked Teddy. Afraid so, said Draco. Teddy scrunched up his face. Draco lay on the sofa and Teddy knelt on the floor beside him. Although there had definitely been an uptick in boringness since he told Andromeda about the curse, he kept catching her looking at him, misty-eyed. There were some advantages. He had stopped making himself go on excursions with Teddy. It was hard enough to leave his bed nowadays. His whole body felt heavy as lead. Downstairs, Andromeda was telling his mother. He knew he should have done it himself, but he had always been a coward. Will it hurt? asked Teddy. Yes, said Draco. Will I die? asked Teddy. Very likely. I don't want you to die. I've taken that into account, said Draco. Teddy started to cry, so Draco pulled him up onto the sofa and told him some tales from Arthurian legend. See, all those knights died too. Tristan and Lamorak and Gawain. I'll miss you, said Teddy. I'll miss you too, Ted, said Draco, wondering when his mother would come upstairs. Not that she'd be any better, but at least she wouldn't cry on him. She was considerate that way. She appeared about ten minutes later. Draco had almost fallen asleep, despite Teddy yanking at his hair. Draco, she said. Her voice sounded fine. Mother, you ought to have told me earlier. I didn't want things to change before they had to. Draco sat up, still cradling Teddy. You'll have Andromeda, at least, he said. I suppose there's nothing that can be done, asked his mother. Draco shook his head. His mother came to sit beside him and enveloped him in a hug. She didn't say anything boring. She just held him and continued to hold him, long after Teddy had squirmed free of Draco's lap and escaped downstairs. She held him so long that Draco fell asleep, or fainted. It was hard to tell which it was sometimes, in her arms. When he came to, they were both lying on the sofa, wrapped around each other, and Harry was standing in the doorway. It cleared his throat. Andromeda sent me to say that dinner's ready, if you want to stay. I can't, said Draco. I'm going to an opium den with the Slytherins. You aren't still doing that shit, are you? asked Harry. Draco felt his mother stiffen because she was a lady and had probably never heard the word shit before. Opium is a painkiller, Harry. When better to try it than when I'm in pain? Oh, right, said Harry. He looked at Draco's mother. Will you stay for dinner, Narcissa? Draco felt his heart flutter, and not in the sickening way it had started doing when he climbed the stairs to his attic bedroom. No, this was an entirely different sort of way. Harry treating his mother with respect. It was nice. Thank you, said his mother graciously. I'd love to. Chapter 8. Number 15. Sex with someone I love. The next time Draco arranged to meet up with Pansy and Astoria to discuss the bucket list, Daphne came too. Astoria, said Draco, accusatorially. She is my sister, Draco. I would never keep something like this from her. Blaze is coming too, said Daphne. Draco made a betrayed noise of outrage. Eh, too, Brute? Draco's bedroom door opened and Blaze strolled in, followed by Millicent. Millie was listening at the door, said Blaze. Was not, said Millicent. So you're dying, eh? said Blaze. A bit anticlimactic after all that shit you survived in school, don't you think? He came to a lounge on the floor near Astoria. Millicent pushed all of Draco's carefully organised possessions off his desk and hopped up on it to sit cross-legged. You guys are the fucking worst, Draco turned to Pansy. So the whole house just knows now. Except for... Greg, said Draco. There was a long silence. You have to tell him, said Astoria. Draco made a long, drawn-out sound. Ooh, is that what I should do, really? There was an immediate and vitriolic outcry. 
Don't be such a baby, Draco, said Pansy. Didn't you learn anything from sleepwalking into the Dark Lord's army? asked Blaze. He deserves to know, said Astoria. It's like ripping off a band-aid, said Daphne. Coward, said Millicent. You're coming in hot, Millie, said Draco. And Blaze, I don't see what my youthful indiscretions have to do with anything. But fine, upon further consideration, I have decided to inform Greg of my condition. Blaze and Pansy bodily lifted him from the bed and pushed him towards the door. What, now? asked Draco, in horror. You haven't exactly got the time to be leisurely about it, said Blaze. Draco glared at him. He's going to be boring, Pans, appealed Draco. You know he will. Sometimes life is boring, Draco, said Pansy. The thing was, Draco didn't really speak to Greg anymore. He often wished Greg had moved in with Theo not after the war instead of with them. Luckily, there were enough of them in the Slytherin house that Draco could avoid him most of the time. Greg had never really recovered from Vince's death. Draco knocked. Come in, said Greg, in his deep voice. Millicent gave him a thumbs up. Draco flipped her off and led himself into Greg's room. Greg was sitting at his desk, scribbling on a piece of paper. He gripped his pencil like a child, discovering cutlery. "'Colouring, Greg, that's pretty advanced stuff,' said Draco, before he could stop himself. Greg dropped his pencil and cracked his knuckles, looking murderous. "'What the fuck do you want, Malfoy?' "'Oh, uh, I have something to tell you.' Greg stopped frowning. "'I know you're gay,' he said. "'I... what? How?' "'Vince figured it out in fourth year.' Fourth year? I didn't know until sixth. Why didn't you tell me?' "'Oh, yeah.' "'How do you think that would have gone down?' asked Greg nastily. Draco looked at his feet. "'Number six. Apologise to Greg for ruining his childhood.' "'I'm sorry,' he mumbled. "'What?' "'I'm sorry,' said Draco, more loudly. "'I'm sorry for treating you like a servant all the way through school. "'I'm sorry for making the Death Eaters seem cool and exciting. I'm sorry.' "'It's not what you did to me,' said Greg. "'It's what you did to Vince.' "'Look, I know,' said Draco. "'Do you? Do you?' Greg rose to his feet, and Draco was reminded of how huge he was and how angry. You never fucking talk about him. It's as if he never existed. He joined the Death Eaters because of you. He died because of you, and you've forgotten him. I haven't forgotten him, said Draco quietly. Then why don't you ever fucking talk about it? Because, because it, it, it's boring. There were black spots in his vision. Greg growled. You don't talk about him because you're a shitty fucked up person, Malvoy. Draco, mind being stabbed in the heart, holding the wound and rolling his eyes to the sky dramatically like a martyred saint. Egghead, telling me things I already fucking know. How wounding. Greg was going to punch him, and it would probably kill him. Draco's heart pounded. He was out of breath with fear, with anger, with guilt and shame and fury. The door opened and Pansy entered. Greg, Draco's dying. He has three months left. Draco, stop being a twat. She walked out again. Greg stared at him. What? Slow acting death curse, said Draco. Watch out for those, by the way. Apparently people aren't keen on us. Who'd have thought? Greg seemed to crumble. He sank to his bed and put his head in his hands. You're dying. Yep. Right, just wanted to let you know, and now you know. So I'll just... No one will be alive who remembers my childhood, said Greg. Draco breathed out heavily. Well, he said, that was disgustingly insightful. Oh, God, said Greg, and he began to cry. Oh, oh God. Draco tried the doorknob. It was locked, and he had left his wand in his room. Pansy, he hissed. Let me out. The waterworks have started. Don't be a prick, said Pansy, through the crack in the door. I miss Vince, sobbed Greg. I miss him. Look, Greg, come on, pull yourself together. You were such a dick to us, said Greg. Draco pressed the heels of his hands into his eyes, trying to pop the pain that was building in them. I know, I, I fucked up, okay, I know that. We worshipped you, wept Greg. We would have followed you anywhere. Draco thought of Seven, telling him to breathe in, 
breathe out, but it was hard because his throat had closed up and he was suffocating. I think I'm going to faint, he said, and then he fainted. When he came to, he was in his bed and Pansy was spooning him. He turned to face her. Hey, she said, how are you feeling? Awful, he said. How's Greg? He... Pansy paused. We'll look after him. He shouldn't have had a go at you like that, Draco. Had to, didn't he? It was now or never, said Draco. Pansy stroked his hair. She had always done that ever since he was little. He closed his eyes and tried to remember what it felt like before he hurt all the time. Had he appreciated it? Pans, he said. Can I be boring just for one second? Yes, she whispered. Draco took a few steadying breaths and opened his eyes. These past few months have been the happiest of my life, he said. He pushed a strand of dark hair out of her face, traced her eyebrows. Made all the difference in the world, Pansy Parkinson. Pansy's eyes were wide. She gulped. Time's up, she said. That was your boring quota for the year. Draco laughed breathily. It was rather Hufflepuff of me, wasn't it? Horribly out of character, she said. Do you despise me for it? Yes, whispered Pansy, her voice shaking. I despise you, Draco. When he woke again, Pansy was gone, but Blaze was lounging laconically in his desk chair, reading Draco's sickthia diary. How the fuck did you find that? asked Draco. You're not as clever as you think you are, said Blaze, shutting the diary and stretching. It's quite boring, anyway. Mostly you whinging about the Dark Lord killing your mother. It wasn't boring at the time, said Draco. Pansy told me about your bucket list. Did she? asked Draco, absently, looking for his wand. He had stopped using it recently because casting made his teeth ache, but he would need it when he saw Harry tomorrow for coffee. Mm-hmm, said Blaze. Specifically, number 15, sex with someone I love. Draco froze. Blaze stood and pulled his t-shirt over his head. Blaze. Draco, what the hell are you doing? Mm, taking off my trousers, said Blaze, doing just that. He stood in front of Draco wearing only his boxers. His hands lingered over his six-pack. I've read your diary, don't forget. I know I was part of your sexual awakening. You're straight, said Draco. Straight-ish, said Blaze. You can't be serious. Blaze took off his boxers, revealing just how serious he was. Draco's stomach dropped. Ah, he said. Trust me, Draco, this is not exactly a hardship for me, said Blaze. He straddled Draco and kissed him. And you love me, don't you? I do now, said Draco. Blaze grinned. So, he said, proceed. Draco had been mad about Blaze and Sixthia. If this had happened then, he would probably have lost his mind. As it was, he wasn't going to turn Blaze down. He was a 22-year-old man, after all, and sex was sex. But although Blaze was gorgeous, and he felt amazing, Draco was conscious of two things as he fucked him. One, Pansy was right. He was in love with Harry Potter, and two, he was far, far too ill to finish. He was never going to sleep with Harry, he realised, as Blaze writhed beneath him, and the realisation was accompanied by a violent pain in his head. Blood dripped onto Blaze's back. Fuck, said Draco. Yeah, harder, said Blaze. No, my nose is bleeding, said Draco. He pulled out and tilted his head back. Blaze passed him tissues. You're right, asked Blaze. I'm falling apart, said Draco. We can do something else. I'll blow you if you like, said Blaze. Draco laughed, choking a bit on his own blood, and shook his head. I've never slept with a guy before, said Blaze. You're a trooper, said Draco. Blaze pulled on his boxes. Did it count? he asked. Have you ticked number 15 off your list? Draco moved his head to look at Blaze, who looked surprisingly vulnerable. It's not really the kind of love I meant, he said. Blaze sat next to him and leant his forehead against Draco's shoulder. Better than nothing, eh? he said. Draco rested his cheek on Blaze's head. I bet Ron Weasley wouldn't do that for Harry Potter, said Draco. Oh, God, my head hurts. 
Blaze put his hands on either side of Draco's head and squeezed. Is that better? he asked. Merlin, said Draco. No. There's some pain potion in the bathroom, suggested Blaze. No, I'm, I'm saving that for coffee with Harry tomorrow. It's bloody awful seeing you like this, Draco. Draco curled up in a ball on the bed and moaned, no longer able to talk. He was distantly aware of Blaze leaving the room and returning with Pansy, of them talking together, of Pansy rubbing his back, but he couldn't respond. He could only make low sounds that seemed sometimes to ease his suffering for a fraction of a second. The night stretched long. That was part two of The Bucket List, chapters five through eight, written and read by Gala Placidia. Tune in next week for part three, and please leave a rating and review on iTunes. For more stories by me, head to AO3. I also have an Instagram, at letthemeetbooks, with underscores instead of spaces, where I post reviews of the books I read, so please say hello on there. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>